So um, it's an unusual experience for me being able to speak to you for two weeks running. Woo! So I, I thought I'd... I'm still really chewing over. Last week we were talking about... Well, one of the stories I went to was the story of the ten lepers. And um, I'm still chewing over the fact that for those nine lepers, that they got better, but that w- they weren't healed. And um, I believe that in these days, God's placing before us the choice. What do you want? Do you want to be made clean, or do you want to be healed? And for many of us, we battle in the position of wanting to be made clean, because that's what we're aware of. But God wants to make us whole. God wants to do a deeper work, something that isn't just shown on the outside, but actually rearranges us from the inside out. Leprosy is a metaphor of being, I mean, it was a real disease, but if you were a leper, it was a sign of your sinfulness in that culture. That's, that's how they saw the disease. And um, some people believe that what they were calling leprosy then had a lot of the symptoms of a sexually transmitted disease, in fact, syphilis would have been quite likely to have been something they were calling leprosy in those days. And um, if you see it as being something like that, it, it was thought to be contagious, but actually leprosy was quite hard to catch. You had to get pretty close to the person who had leprosy. But if lepers came close together, then they could pass it on. Um, and, um, and so when Jesus is healing them of that leprosy, He's healing them of a sinfulness. That's why that disease made them, in the sight of the Jewish people, something that was unclean. And uh, he was healing them of that sinfulness. And I believe that God wants to heal us of our sinfulness. You see, the lepers that asked to be made clean were keen to get back to their lives, to get back to their families, to get back to their religious duties. And they did a lot of things right. But actually, I think that God doesn't just want to prevent us from sinning. He wants us to step into a new way of being. Not just breaking the habits that some of us have picked up along the way, or the mindsets that prevent us or restrict us but actually restore some of the wells that are stopped up. Otherwise, we become what Jesus called whitewashed tombs. That's what he called the Pharisees of the day. He said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. And I'll come back to that picture. But if somebody dies and you put them in a box, then actually what goes on inside the box is pretty smelly and horrible. And so you can paint the outside of it to make it look clean. But inside it isn't. Inside it's smelly. Inside it's decaying. And for some of us, we want to be painted on the outside, and we've got all of this junk on the inside. And I think that God wants to change that so that we realize that it's not about being whitewashed that matters. It's the death that's inside that God wants to draw out. When we're dealing with sins and and behaviors, It's helpful to think about the fact that when Paul writes to Timothy about this, he says that the sins of some are obvious, 
but others follow behind them. When God brings a sin to your mind, it's quite often an obvious sin. It's something which is clear. And yeah, you deal with it. But I think in these days it's important to remember there are other sins that are less obvious to us. Ways of thinking, patterns of behavior that actually impact how, how, good we, how, how effective we can be for him. And um, those trail behind us, and God wants to deliver us from those too. So I think that God has something more for us. And the way into that is recognizing that we're sick. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. And maybe the inspiration for talking about sick people needing a doctor is not too far away. And um, as you heard the testimonies this morning, and for those of you that were here on uh, Simmons Sunday, you know, one of, the many, one of the things that came out of that whole thing was how difficult circumstances have pointed people back to God. And, and brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do. Because actually, there is a part of us that would want to t- turn aside from him. Because somehow we're not worthy. Somehow we don't quite meet the standard. Somehow it's just not good enough. But he doesn't want us to turn aside. He wants to look in our faces and to know that. And to, to, for us to receive that love. So, I just want to... It's a really important message. I feel there's something for us in this. And uh, I just, I'm going to start with a, a bit of a story, because I always think stories are helpful. Um, and, uh, but bear with me, because I think that there's something very important for us to hear this morning. So, um, in the story of... Uh, the calling of, in Luke, he's called Levi. His name is Levi. Um, in Matthew, he's called Matthew. Um, but essentially, this is the calling of one of the very first disciples. And um, Jesus was uh, walking along, and uh, he saw a tax collector, the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, what on earth can you get out of that story? I mean, that's a fairly, it's a fairly open and shut case, really, isn't it? Well, the first thing I want to think about this morning is that those of us, that many of us are being called by many things. There's lots of things shouting out for our attention, whether it's our Outlook diary, whether it's our personal reminders on our phone, whether it's uh, emails, whether it's uh, work commitments. There are many things calling but Jesus is calling. And Jesus is calling you. And we can put off the calls to many things. But when he calls, it's time to get up and to go. Jesus said, follow me. See, it's not enough to just get up and stop what you're doing. Is a following through. So in, for those of us uh, where God has been speaking to us about wrong attitudes, it's not just enough to leave that place. But there's something about the following through that matters. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Why was it so miraculous or weird that Jesus should speak to this man? Well, as I think you're probably aware, tax collectors have never been popular. Um, but tax collectors in... Oh, wrong way. That way. Um, but actually, in Jesus' time, there was good reason for that. Because the tax collectors made their living by not just collecting the tax, but charging a bit more. More like a debt collector, really. And um, basically, if, if they had a certain amount of money to... This guy was one of the people that would go around. There's a bloke who sat in an office and worked out how much tax everyone needed. He was a sort of bloke who went around and said, come on, give us your money. And he would charge a bit extra and keep it for himself. And um, the Jewish people thought that the people that collected the tax were unclean. The tax collectors were so money, so dirty, so unclean, they'd never asked for change. Um, Tax collectors weren't allowed to testify in court. Their word couldn't be relied on. They were habitual liars. And um, and you you wouldn't even associate with the tax collector in private life. just wouldn't have them as a friend. So when Jesus calls Levi, it's a little bit upsetting to the mindsets there are around him. God calls us where we are. He doesn't wait for us to move. He calls us where we are. When Levi was called by Jesus, he was just getting on with his job. It was just another day. He was surviving. And for many of us, when we heard Jesus' voice calling us, that was what it was like. And that's what it's still like. We're just getting on. But Jesus' voice is calling. Levi was practicing something that was sinful. Levi was called while he was still not right. It wasn't just that he had a dodgy job. There was something intrinsically wrong about the way he was earning his living. God calls us right where we are. Now, the thing is, when God stirs up our conscience and we bring things out into the open that we've had buried and hidden, we can feel unworthy. We can suddenly realize that we're quite like this tax collector. That actually, if people knew what we were really like, they probably wouldn't even associate with us. At least that's what the enemy says to us. So... Do do you feel unworthy? Do you feel that God can't love you because of some sin that you've got in your life? God's called you in your sins. God will give you strength to change. But you can't do it on your own. So when you are aware of a weakness, you know, God calls us and helps us in the midst of that weakness. He doesn't wait for us to be made right, he catches us where we are. We can get stuck at the point of guilt. And actually, you know you can, you can confess something, be walking free of it, and we've heard how God can allow the enemy to kind of 
grab us back to test whether we've truly been, whether we truly repented it. You see, God's allowing that to happen so that we can be truly free. The enemy is always subject to God. God is sovereign. The enemy is beaten. No one can say that we're being tempted out of our hands. God's only allowed temptations to come to us that we can, we can refute, resist. We're not saved because our parents came to church. Some of us may be here because our parents have always come here. But we're not saved because our parents came here. We're not saved because our friends come here. We're saved because God in Christ has called us. And he's spoken to you. And he can speak to you. And he will release his spirit to you. And you can know that. You can know that freedom. Essentially, it's about being obedient. When I was reading about this, someone gave an example of a, an old king of Bavaria who'd had enough of being a king and decided to go to a monastery to become a monk. And he was a really powerful man. And he goes to this monastery and he says, I, more or less, I've had enough of being a king. I've decided I want to devote my life to God. I want to become a monk. And the, the guy that he talks to, um, I guess would be the abbot or the father or whatever, I don't know, some boss monk he speaks to, says, well, that's great. That's a good idea. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. He probably didn't say this because he was German. Um, but I can't do it so well in German. Could try. I could do a silly voice. Anyway, so he says... So he says, are you sure it means laying down everything you have to become a monk? Now, for monk, let's, let's consider actually what he's talking about is becoming obedient to Christ. It's not really important about taking, becoming a monk. We don't believe that's really what God's called us to, otherwise we wouldn't be here. God's called us to devote our lives to him where we are. This is our ministry. This is what God has given us. But this guy thought, oh, that's what I need to do. He says, are you sure you want to lay everything down? You have all this stuff. Are you sure you want to lay it down? And the king said, sure, yeah, that's what I want to do. He said, are you sure you want to lay it all down? It means becoming obedient. You realize this, don't you? And uh, the king says, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to become obedient. I want to lay down my life. And the abbot says to him, well, so go and be a king. Go and fulfill what God has made you to be. And that's what he did. He went back and became a king for the rest of his life. But there was a, a surrendering of something, something that had to be broken. And you know, sometimes when God calls us, that's the process that needs to be gone through. We need to kind of lay down what, God has, what we have, and then maybe we, maybe we just find that it's back in our hands again, but we know it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. So... Um, Picking up the story again, so immediately after this messed up guy who knows that he can't please God because he's an outcast, that no Jews will have anything to do with him, suddenly finds himself talking to this rabbi called Jesus. And he invites Jesus into his home. 
And so they, they have a meal together. In fact, it's not just a meal, it's a great banquet. And there's a huge number of people there. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large number of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that particular bit really leapt out at me. Because I realized over and over again in the conversations that I'm having, many are stuck in that place of having made confession, feeling that they're not worth anything. That somehow they've let God down. And uh, somehow he can't use them. Now the Pharisees in this story were not without sin. Jesus is using something called irony here. He's saying, you know, guys, okay, you're sorted. You're healthy. Oh, yes, I bet they were. You're healthy in your relationship with God. I've come for the sick. And by that, he means the people that know that they're sick. And my question to you this morning is, do you know that you're sick? Do you realize that actually your brain's not wired the right way? Do you realize that we need God's grace to change? Because actually, if you realize that, that's the doorway to grace. That's the doorway to release. That's the doorway to freshness in our lives. Because I think that over and over again, the enemy would come to us and say, you know, you can't do this. You can't, you're not good enough. Leave it to those Pharisees. They've got the life ticked. They get up early and they pray a lot. They go to every meeting. They give their tithes. They love one another practically. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't actually know. We know in the story of the Good Samaritan that these guys actually were the ones that were so caught up in doing their stuff that they just walked on by and left some Samaritan boat to do all the good. So I think God's word to us this morning is, you know, we might feel like the outcast, but God wants to say to you, you're just the person I came for. You're just the one. Blessed are they of the poor in spirit, because they will be satisfied. It's at the heart of the gospel to confess your need. And it's okay to confess your need. It doesn't make you less. It actually makes you real. As opposed to being a whitewashed tomb that looks good on the outside, but inside is rotting away. So do you know that you're ill? The Pharisees thought they had everything sorted. They knew just what righteousness was. And they just got on with it. Caught up in their religion, they're not able to see the deeper need that they have for a relationship with God. We'd never be like that, would we? I just want to give a moment just to think. 
See, am I a whitewashed tomb? Is there something going on inside of me that is a lot more stinking and rotten than anyone else can see? Jesus doesn't want us to be like that. Okay, so why do we not admit that we're sick? Well, this next slide is not very serious, but it gives it, this is a, a picture of uh, someone you might know going to the doctor. The thing is, we don't always like what the doctor says. The doctor says to the man, what fits into your busy schedule better? Exercising for one hour a day or being dead 24 hours a day? You know, we don't like to admit that there's a problem. And uh, I've used the image before, but, you know, it's a bit like that, isn't it, really? <laughs> Everything's fine. I'm whitewashed. I look fine. No one can see what's going on in here. The trouble is, out of the overflow of the mouth, out of, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you've got something stinking and rotten going on in here, what comes out when you get shaken up? Stinks. And, um, and God wants us to have that open heart that he can, as we said before, that thankfulness somehow opens up the doorway for his work in our lives. So there's an open-heartedness towards him. So these are some excuses that I think we might come up with. Well, we're too busy or we can't fit it in. Um, well, actually, to be honest, I don't really want to face the treatment. That's going to hurt too much. Um, it's not a problem in that. A lot of people are like that. I don't see there's a problem with that. Have you seen that bloke at work? He's got a much shorter temper than I've got. Oh, well, if it's just a phase, I'll be all right in a few months' time when actually it's one of those small surrenders as we talked about before, leads to a great distance. If we make small surrenders day by day, we can end up moving far further than we ever meant to do. And um, the thing is, we're just never short of excuses, are we? I, I found that slide very easy to write, but um, I'm sure you can insert your other excuse. So the trouble is, whenever we mess things up, the same thing happens as happened in Genesis 3. When the man and the wife hear the sound of the Lord walking, in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Somehow we believe that we need to get everything sorted out and together for God to love us, so we hide. And I want to you to hear the call of God calling you back because I believe he's calling us back. The Lord saying to the man, where are you? I heard you in the garden, the man said, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because this happened. I was afraid because I said this. I was afraid because I didn't do that. How often do we hide things away with the thought that somehow by hiding them, hides them from God. We keep things buried. We keep our attitudes hidden. We wear that veil 
plastic face. Actually, actually, we don't always wear a plastic face in this church, do we? I, I, um, I said, to, said to Nathan after Debbie was um, encouraging all to look a bit more enthusiastic, I said, the natives are friendly despite their faces. That's the expression we use, isn't it? Um, sometimes we don't... We, and it's important, actually, what you see is what you get. That is important. Being open and honest is really important. And um, it does mean that there'll be sparks sometimes when iron sharpens iron. And, uh, but that, that is key. So um, I just want to look at one last passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7, starting that. I'll, I'll put up the slide in a minute. I just want to introduce it. So, you see, the thing is that stuff happens. Really, stuff happens. To paraphrase a well-known American cartoon. And stuff happens, when stuff happens, how we respond is all. Um, how we respond makes the difference between it being an avenue for God's grace and being a place that causes a distance to build. But there's nothing that the enemy can do to you that can prevent you accessing his grace, God's grace. And God's grace is sufficient. So let's just read this. This is, this is Paul who's battling with something in his life. We're not given any detail about it, but we know that it was something that was painful. We can see why in a moment. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I'll go on to the next bit in a minute. I just wonder, there's, this is one of those bits of the Bible that you have to read and you think, what is actually being implied here? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Who's he... Who's given it to him? Who's given it to him? Well, he doesn't actually say, but we know that nothing happens that God doesn't allow. And I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I pleaded with the Lord. In other words, the Lord could do something about this. I don't have to have this thorn. I don't have to have this irritation, this pain, this tearing in my flesh. I don't have to have it. The word for torment um, in the King James Version is translated as buffet. What a lovely word, buffet. Do you know how you buffet someone? You get a fist and you beat them. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Because I think I'd get hurt. Uh, <laughs> you buffet someone with the fist. We're not talking about a little bit of, oh, you know what, when I go to bed at night, my back's a little bit painful. We're talking about a torment. This is something quite deep that is happening in Paul's life. We're not told really what it is. It seems unlikely that it would be anything particularly um, obvious to anyone else. Because actually, this is about him talking to God. 
And there's no other reference to it. So it's something that's going on in him. And um, so he's having this conversation with God. Say, God, take it away from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says to, to, to the Corinthians, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This thing that was sent by the enemy was not sent to give him, um, I don't know, uh, fresh access to the Lord. It was sent to ruin his life. It was sent as a key leader in the early church to cause God's plans to be derailed so that God's church would not be built in the way that God wanted them to be built. He sent this thorn to Paul. But what is the result? The result is that God has opened a doorway of grace to Paul so that all the more, he says... His grace can abound. So that all the more, he can, he can, Christ's power may rest on me. Paul finds himself humbled. He finds that God's grace is sufficient. He's found that God's power has been made perfect. That his power rests on him because, because of the thorn. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that unlikely? Isn't that ridiculous that God should allow something like that to happen to someone like Paul, but actually because of it, God's grace abounds all the more. Because of it, Jesus makes Paul someone else, someone different than what he would have been. He's not boastful. He, he had every reason to be pretty conceited. He had a tremendous background and pedigree in Christ, in God, before he came to Christ. He says, I have many reasons that, you know, I'm better than most of you, than all of you. It's with regard to righteousness, in fact. He says, I've got, I had it all taped. But God gave him a thorn. And in that thorn, there was a release of grace. Grace being God's undeserved goodness to us. His power to change. His power to withstand temptation. His power to produce healing. His power to produce freedom. The attack of the enemy is releasing grace. Paul is beaten. But the enemy is beaten. Every time we ask for help, God comes. Grace is the ability to respond rightly to whatever we face. And God's Spirit's here to help you find healing for your soul. Not just cleanness. Not just being made to look right on the outside. There's no doubt that this thorn was painful. When Paul's writing about it, he doesn't say, I had this slight ache in my left hip. He says, I had a thorn in my flesh. And the image that would have been in his head would have been the crown of thorns, I'm sure. the thorns that Jesus carried for us, that he saw on people that were being crucified around him. 
that he saw is being used as a punishment for others. He knew what that pain was like. So when he's talking about there being a thorn, he's talking about something that really hurts. And, um, and this thorn, once it's in us, it's hard to remove, isn't it? In fact, there's this sense in which to take it out can be painful. But the healer's here to make a difference. Well, I think that, that to help us respond, I, I've, I believe that God's given me, um, uh, shown me a song that I'd like to share with you. I'm not going to actually sing it. But um, it's, uh, it's, one of, it's got lyrics on the, on the screen. Um, and, uh, but what I'd like you to do is, um, it can be a very passive process, listening to a song. But I'd like us to use this as a time for God to really speak to you and for you to listen to him about the state of things for you. Look at the words. And as you listen, if you want to respond and receive something of that healing, that wholeness, I think it would be good for you to stand up where you are. I'm going to read you the words before we get to them so you've had a chance to, uh, to digest them before we hear them. It goes through twice. It runs for about five minutes. And I'd really like you to be alert in the spirit to what God's saying to you. And then when we've done this, we'll probably move back into uh, a time of worship. But um, the song's called The Hurt and the Healer. Why? The question that's never far away. The healing doesn't come from being explained. Please don't let this go in vain. You're all I have, all that remains. So here I am, what's left of me, where glory meets my suffering. I'm alive, even though a part of me has died. You take my heart, you breathe it back to life. And I fall into your arms open wide when the hurt and the healer collide. Breathe. Sometimes I feel it's all I can do. Pain so deep that I can hardly move. Just keep my eyes completely fixed on you. Lord, take hold. Pull me through. So here I am, what's left of me, where glory meets my suffering. I'm alive even though part of me has died. You take my heart. You breathe it back to life. I fall into your arms open wide when the hurt and the healer collide. It's the moment when humanity is overcome by majesty, when grace is ushered in for good, when all our scars are understood, when mercy takes its rightful place and all these questions fade away. When out of the weakness we must bow and hear you say, it's over now. Jesus, come and break my fear. Wake my heart, take my tears. Find your glory even here, when the hurt and the healer collide. See, it sounds a bit melodramatic, doesn't it? Part of me has died. But I think if you've truly repented of something, Part of you has died. 
It really has. I don't think God wants us to be strong in that sense. He wants us to be strong in Him. To understand that actually, we need a healer. That there's something that isn't quite right. That isn't right. And that without Him, we need Him. We, we can't live the life He has for us. But with Him, when the hurts in us collide with the healer that's Him, I believe God's going to release a new freedom. So let's, let's just listen to this song.
take this heart and breathe it back to life.